Hello, hello, hello. My name is Brett Stewart, and welcome to another episode of Silver Screens and Politics. I am one of your hosts, and I am always joined by a second host. He is currently wiping ice cream off on his microphone. What are you doing with your life, Dominic Chikoki? <laughs> I nearly dropped the spoon on the floor, and I'm, I saved it. Okay. But I'm wiping it off. I have chocolate milk in a Murloc mug, and you have... What kind of ice cream is that? Caramel cone haagen Do either of these things make this movie better? They help. They help the after experience. <laughs> they help the the uh, the afterburn, the aftertaste. They help you feel better afterward. The movie we watched, of course, if you're not familiar with the podcast, if this is your first time joining us, this impromptu introduction is more or less how the episodes continue on and on, and we delve into political films, and we talk about whether or not they're historically accurate, and if they are historically accurate, what do they get right, and then we also talk about all sorts of other stuff. Are they good movies? Are they bad movies? What are the weirdest parts of the movies? Would Truman be better if he rapped in it? (laughs) All that awesome stuff. Now, we did watch Truman. It was made in 1995, and it was a film by HBO. An HBO TV movie. And uh, though considered unqualified, Harry S. Truman becomes the 33rd president following the April 1945 death of Franklin D. Roosevelt. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why we chose this movie, Dom? I chose this movie because, one, I love the book by David McCullough, which is a Pulitzer Prize winning biography that this is based on. I also picked it because it was an HBO TV movie, which is the first that we're doing on this show. I thought it'd be interesting to try. Definitely. And, you know, I wanted to have diversity of presidents. It wasn't just all JFK, Nixon, etc. Absolutely. Well, this was certainly an interesting film. Actually, I shouldn't even say it was interesting. I think some of the problems with it are interesting, but the film itself is very bland, I think. Yes. I should preface that I this film, I started at three in the afternoon, <laughs> and I got about an hour and a half in and most certainly fell asleep. Uh, woke back up, turned it back on, rewound to where I last remembered, got about 24 minutes in further. I don't know why I remember the number 24, but that was it. <laughs> because I remember falling asleep promptly again and then waking up at like an hour 54. I was at an hour 30. Wow. And then restarting back again from like 140-ish was the last time I remembered then. Mm-hmm. And finally, you know, finishing the film in, in all of its like two hour and 15 minute glory. Yeah. Took me a while. Honestly, like... This is kind of what I was afraid of, but I wanted to try, give it a go. It's just like, this is exactly what you think of if you think mid-90s HBO TV movie. <laughs> this was before HBO really hit their stride with original content. Well, maybe not. Their TV, their Tales TV from the shows. Crypt, Tales from the Crypt and stuff like that was Sex cool. in the City. Was that was that the 90s? Was Tales in the Crypt even HBO? I don't even know. Sex wow, in the City was later. Sex in the City was later. Okay. But that's the, our point is there was some cool stuff. Not Truman. Not Truman. And one thing I found fascinating about this film before I'd even seen it is that HBO does not have it in their archive. You can't watch it on HBO Now or HBO Go, which is kind of uncommon. I know they don't keep everything in there, but they keep a lot of their hits. Certainly, this is not a hit. Um, I mean, it did win a Golden Globe and an Emmy. It did win. Yeah. And it won a Golden Globe for Best Actor, in fact. And it won a some sort of technical Emmy. You think they'd like want to like have that there so they could champion that. Right, but that's not the case. It's not anywhere on there. It's not on the HBO website. You cannot rent it. You cannot buy it new. You can only buy used copies on Amazon shipped to you in DVD because it was never, of course, put on Blu-ray. Wow. And in addition to that, you can't pirate this movie. And I was like, last resort, I was like, I need to find this movie. It's not even on the Pirate Bay. But 
Where did you find it? I found it with 156 views on YouTube because apparently HBO doesn't care enough to copyright ID it and no one else cares enough to watch it except 155 other people or like a couple people who really, really like it. So either or. I was able to find it, which means you can probably find it there, too. And typically, I would be apprehensive about mentioning a full film on YouTube, because by the time listeners went and looked for it, it might not be there anymore. But I'm almost ass- almost assured that that will likely be there. Otherwise, yeah, DVD is your... your Other- yeah. yeah, but at that point, you really want... I don't know if they should spend money on this. No, but like, if you really want to know, it, that's your only option, really. If you're dead set on it, then yeah. that's Like, that's- like, we, like we were. We were dead set on it because we have obligations, but you don't. Our obligation is to watch it so you don't have to if it's like, if it's in this case. Now, let's start at the beginning, okay? So directed by Frank Pearson, who is a director best known for he writing. Made, right, but he also made uh, Cool Hand Luke. He wrote Cool Hand Luke. He wrote Cool Hand Luke. And that's like the only notable thing in his in his uh in his filmography, with the exception he, of he wrote Presumed Innocent, but come on. He wrote, you know, he directed the um, 70s remake of A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. Okay. That's that's his big directing thing, I would I would say. Oh, he was also a, a, a consulting producer on a bunch of Mad Men episodes. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, so what happens at the beginning of this movie is it's very much a, uh, it's not necessarily a... Uh, you know, uh, crib to crypt. Crib to grave? Yeah, crib to crypt. I like to say that Oh, better. by the way, the director just died in 2012, RIP. Bummer. Frank, Frank Pearson, 87 years old. Won an Oscar. For what? Dog Day Afternoon. Okay, cool. Uh, so it's not necessarily, a, you know, a crib to grave, but it is a uh, early, early, you know, uh, Truman. To late. Truman to late Truman to post presidency Truman by five minutes by about five minutes and uh, the early parts are, are interesting but one of the weird things about this film that you and I were talking about in the pre-show is that his appearance so drastically changes throughout the film and it's not because he's getting older it's just right. because they can't decide how to do him in makeup like there are just like in the same scene there are certain shots that look different or he's just slightly more made up or slightly less made up than right and they're drastic sometimes his his hair will be dark and 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 mm-hmm. full and then other times it'll be like white and like completely stripped back or he'll be like really wrinkled or like kind of wrinkled or like his face will be really mushy or less mushy depending on like <laughs> the shot you know right right and the early parts of this film were probably the most fascinating to me um, because I like the idea that that Truman at least the will the way the film portrays him was kind of like he couldn't figure anything out he's like he's the kid who like drops out of college like the third year in because he couldn't really figure out what he was going to do with his life and right. then he goes and lives with his parents quite literally almost he gets married and lives with his wife's mother who doesn't like him who hates him she's really salty toward him and he tries all sorts of things he tries to have a business and the business fails he can't declare bankruptcy because he's his heart is too full of youthful youthful angst to to do that but this 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 leads to one of my my, my favorite scene in the film for sure is when um he's at the dinner table with his wife Bess and the family and the mother is criticizing him of course for having the failed business and it's and he's talking about getting into politics, and she's like, "Oh, Bess's father was into politics, and we don't like politics around here." And Truman's just like, "Well, one must keep his head." And then it turns out that Bess's father shot himself in the head. Oh, shots fired! <laughs> <laughs> and Bess leaves the table upset and crying and going uh, to her room. 
two episodes in a row, I really inappropriately used the, word, the term shots fired. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, wow, that was like a real bad remark. Wow. That was like, that was, that was an active character moment right there. Right. And keep in mind that she is telling him that politics will turn a man into a thief. Yes. And he tries very, very hard to be the good old-fashioned American boy that just wants to help people, and he learns very quickly that making deals, even at a local level as a county commissioner, is very, very hard. Yeah, he, to get into politics, he makes a deal with, like, the local mob, oh, not mob boss, but, like, the local political machine. Right. Pendergast, Tom Pendergast. Mm-hmm. And played by Pat Hingle, of course. And uh, he wants to build roads. That's yes, Truman's he wants to build $6.5 million worth of roads. That way, farmers in particular, because keep in mind, he is a farmer that's come from a family of right. farmers. That's all accurate. Uh, he knows that a good a good road relatively close to the farm, it really helps necessitate uh, moving you know, a crop and getting stuff sold, and that's important to a farmer's yes. livelihood. And this is like in the 1930s or 20s? 20s, I want to say. 20s, yeah. I, I don't remember the timeline exactly when I read the book, but... Six point five million in nineteen twenties, that's a lot. Yep. But he gets it built. He does it, but he has to make his first sacrifice. Which is assigning a concrete contract largely to the top of the political machine. And they're gonna steal most of the money. Or they or they right. stole most of them. They stole some money and then they he stole gave it to some him? of the money and then he had to give the contract majority to the guy that was helping him pass it. Right. Right. Okay. He learns very early on that it is a dirty business. And this leads to one of the problems I have with this movie. Also, the problem I have with Wilson, if you remember that episode, is that a lot of this movie is just like the scenes leading up to big events, but never the big event. Yes. So we have like, it's like snapshots, but kind of annoying in the way that they're snapshots. Like we see him propose to the wife, then we see him go to World War One for a scene, then he comes back, then he runs his haberdashery, then it fails, and he goes into politics. And there are just tiny little snapshots, like a bunch of you know disconjointed vignettes. Right. And this was also a problem I did have with W to an extent, because I remember when we were talking about W, we were talking about how he would be like, you know, Dad, I'm going to run for governor. And then his dad was like, why can't you be more like Jeb? And then he's like, no, you're not my real dad. And then he'd like run out of the room. And then the next <laughs> scene, it's like, he's governor. And like that, and Wilson had that in spades. And this film does that too. Instead of showing you these pivotal moments and having a, a narrative arc... It just jumps. It like literally when he from the time that he's the business owner to the county commissioner to the governor to the president, they never really show you any sort of campaigning. Perhaps right. with the exception of the very first campaign where we see one really awkward speech. It just jumps like oh now he's the president and we see the we see the very beginning which is his reelection, right? And that's like that's about it. Exactly. It's like, oh, we don't want to keep showing them the same thing and they'll get bored. But it's like, also, that's what happened. Yeah, that would what would make it interesting for him to go out on the campaign trail, especially in light of replacing a president that had died. Or, or yeah. Because or like, he had never campaigned for president. Or show us when he replaced the old vice president. Right. Like, we see the scene of him getting chosen, but like, then he's just, then he's just his vice president. Right. And the, and the, the idea of being a president that was never formally elected to office is a fascinating one. So I think they could have wrote on how that election had played out after the fact, but they never did that. It is interesting to note that when he was in World War One, he was 33 when he enlisted. That's old. 
Yeah, so like that's kind of getting fitting with your narrative. Like he didn't know what he really wanted to do, so he just kind of did things. Oh no! And the film makes that very clear. And and at one point he's sitting on the bed, and his wife comes in. He's like, "I just can't do anything." I just and he's not crying, but he's like, <laughs> just giving him that voice. He's like, "I can't make shoes, and I can't tie them either, and I can't walk across the water and go to war and and be a general." And then he's and it's just like get a job, or it's like he wants to marry his wife, but he has to, he wants to go to war. Right. So he's like, actually, I can't marry you because I don't want you to wait for me. Yeah, <laughs> she's it, very forgiving of his yes. of his pursuit of all of his dreams. She just kind of puts up with it. Yeah, her press conference scene was really good. I will say that. Yeah, that was good. She just starts giving up. Like she gives the inaugural first first lady's press conference, which I guess is a thing, and she she answers very like one word answer, like yes, no, blah blah blah. Right. And, and this, of course, is Diana Scarwid, who later went on to such triumphs as playing one character in an episode of Heroes, one character in an episode of Criminal Criminal Minds, and a side character in a TV movie called Backyard Wedding. It looks like she was in Pushing Daisies, from what I saw from your computer. And a couple things of Pushing Daisies. There like she's go. a main character. But anyway, like, yeah, it's just like Truman is very, like, not wishy-washy, but just constantly changing his mind about, like... I want to do this, but I want to do this, but I, want, but I can't do this because I want to do this. And then the way the film is shot lends itself really poorly to that because right. it's as jumpy as he is. And it's, it's bland. It's blander than him. It's very, very bland. You know, I wasn't all that tired this afternoon, but I was falling asleep to this movie nonetheless. Right. It's just like, it's not egregiously awful, but it's just like, oh. Mm. It's very, very bland. Especially because you have one of the most pivotal moments of an Amer- uh, there are several there are probably if you were to narrow down three or four moments that are most critical that have happened to American presidents uh, obviously you know um, Cuban Missile Crisis very high up there yes uh, yes you know in modern times it would probably be uh, maybe the Osama raid perhaps mm-hmm. uh, but before that he bombed Hiroshima he is the and and Nagasaki is the only the only sitting president. To ever drop massive bombs on innocent populated cities, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I understand you, we we bombed areas in Vietnam and and, and South and North Korea and beginning a toll and all that stuff, right? But I'm talking about massive urban areas that we are deliberately dropping a bomb on an entire city that will kill forty thousand people in a second, right? And this was the only president in history, and remains the only president in history that had to make that decision. Didn't even know that's what it would do. Like not really. Like, well, he well he said his 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 generals would tell him it would kill at least thirty thousand people. But like, there's a difference between hearing about it and then like seeing it happen. Sure, but I mean, I, but that's what I mean is the is the decision of, right. of knowing that this this ethereal thing that no one in the world has ever seen happen before is now in my control, right. and I determine whether or not these thirty thousand people live or die. And that is should be the critical moment of this movie, and it's not. Like, I feel like that could be its own movie where he's at, like, the Berlin Peace Talks. It totally talks. could be. He's at the Berlin Peace Talks with Stalin and um, Churchill, and that's right. barely touched on. It was one of my favorite scenes in the book because, like, from what I remember, like, they came to him during the talks and told him, okay, we're ready to go. And he, like, wrote on a piece of paper to do it. And right. Then, and it was, like, a very important piece of paper that he just was like, this is the order, right on paper. And I love that because th- I. This is it's it's always struck me as is intriguing the decision to drop those bombs mm. because I don't 
I'm, I know I'm going to get a story, uh, people who are more historically privy to this than me getting angry at me, but I've always found it fascinating because they dropped two of these massive bombs, even though the Germans had already been defeated and they were pushing these Pacific fronts successfully. So what they really wanted, and as touched on in this film, albeit briefly, was to end the war immediately and bring their boys home, to stop their boys from dying, and pushing the Pacific front would keep boys dying. Yeah, and like, I get that, but this is like a really drastic way of ending it. And I know that's how they felt they right. had to end it, but I just can't imagine being in that position. I don't think I can make that decision, and he has to. And the only scene in this film that really discusses that is him sitting on a park bench with one of the generals, and they're like, it's going to kill a lot of people, and he's like, mm-hmm, that's that does not sound tasty. And and then there's like a shoulder shrug. And then we see some stock footage of bombs falling on stuff. I don't yeah. even know if it's actually Hiroshima or Nagasaki. And it like, I understand that, you know, it's, if you want to do like a biopic, fine. But you can take out some of the less important stuff and then like blow open some of these moments to give real drama and real heft to it. Absolutely. I did not need to know quite as much about his exploits of building roads, even though I actually found those quite interesting. I'd rather them had focused on that moment. I would rather have them focus on his re-election. Like, I love the scene of the book where it talks about his um, his daughter becoming an opera singer when he's president, but you didn't really need that in the, in the movie. Right. And they never really discuss the relationship or lack thereof that he had with FDR because he seemed to have this really high admiration of FDR. And FDR was just like, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And all of that was just so fascinating to me, and the film does nothing to touch on any of it. It's it's interesting. Like What they presented for FDR and Truman is interesting enough, I guess, but we should have been more. Where, like, I guess everyone's trying to scramble to find a replacement VP because they're all scared of who FDR initially picked. Uh, right. So, you know, they they asked Truman, he was like, oh, I don't want to do it. And then everyone else, oh, this guy's too conservative, this guy's too liberal, this blah, 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 you're perfect. And so they bring him into the back room, and they have FDR on the phone, and they're talking to him, and they're like, oh, do you want to talk to him? And they give Truman the phone, and FDR is just shit-talking Truman. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to talk to him. He's If you if he were talking to him, tell him he's being anti-American and all this stuff. Right. It's just like, man... He really did not care about Truman. He just wanted somebody like Truman. And they have like one luncheon meeting in the movie. And all he, all he, all he gleaned from that is FDR shakes a lot because he's about to die. Right. I will laud Gary Sinise. 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 Sneeze. 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 I want to add an, S, an H for some reason. Gary Sinus. Sinus. Um, Sinise. He's rubbing his sinus in the He's poster. He's rubbing his sinus in the poster. Uh, in fact, that's why they got it that way. But <laughs> he is quite good in Yeah, this he's film. great. He is not the issue. The oh, writing no. is the issue. And the pacing is the issue. Uh, oh. Which I believe we have levied very similar accolades toward other actors in bad movies on this show. It's, it's honestly Wilson, but in the 90s. And yeah. less overly patriotic. Right, right. Uh, and it's, 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 I don't know how to describe him in this role. He, he performs it very well. The film just makes it confusing because they're changing his appearance all the time. There mm-hmm. were literally times when I thought they were going back in time, but they weren't. And he does well with what he's offered. And I'm like, Lieutenant Dan, you just need to get out of this movie. Come on, Lieutenant Dan. And there were definitely scenes I like. I saw some of like where they cut corners for sure. Like I remember one scene, like the like he's coming to the White House or something, 
and behind him is just like a black void. Yeah. There's literally nothing in the background or <laughs> they open the door for him. Right. It's like, man, you didn't even try to give us some realism there. It's unbelievable how far HBO has come. Yeah. Because one film I'm sure we will inevitably touch on is All the Way. Oh, yes, for sure. And that was much better. <laughs> oh, completely. <laughs> that was quite good. Did you see that? Oh, I've saw parts of it. It was very good. Well, what I like, I saw what I like. I mean, I like Brian Francis. But it, a lot. it's a very similar situation, though. Yeah, it is a it is a person who has the presidency thrust upon them. But it's, I think they tried to give that a narrative, from what I've seen of it. Yes, they did have a narrative. Absolutely, it was rooted specifically in passing the Civil Rights Act. Kind of like Lincoln, except better. <laughs> I'm okay with Lincoln, but I only saw it when it came out. And it was a long, like, two and a half hours in the theater. <laughs> well, let's, let's wait for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> pew, pew, pew. What else do you have, Dom? So, what, what I thought was interesting, which probably had more, a lot more screen time than a lot of things, was the whole thing about Israel. Yeah. And so, Tony Goldwyn comes on board at this point, who is the voice of Tarzan and is in stuff like Scandal. And he plays Clark Clifford, which is Truman, one of Truman's best buds and like probably one of the most notable people that worked for Truman at the time. And he represents, he represents like the Jewish interest, right? Yes, he does. And he's like, you need, you need to support Israel. That's literally a line in the movie. He represents the Jewish interest. And it's not entirely clear in what capacity that means, whether or not he's an ambassador or part of some sort of Jewish affiliation. Right. Like and then, and then there's, uh, and then there's the guy who, um, Truman ran the haberdashery with who also comes to him and is like, you need to support Israel. Right. And it, I guess it tries to posit Truman is very pro Jewish in a time when, you know, we don't want to help them. For everyone else, like Marshall, like uh, General Marshall and stuff, were like, we can't. I'm going to vote against you if you do this. Yeah, keep in mind, there's parts of the mid 20th century, especially late 50s, 60s. This what was it the six or seven day war. I'm, yeah, we're going to get emails on this. I don't remember this, but yeah, they were sending out the stress calls to us as four other countries around them were attacking them for like a week, and yeah. we claim we never got them. So, really, very weirdly tumultuous relationship that has since been very steady now, you know? Oh, President Trump. <laughs> it's not Trump's fault. I will You've not, repaired our, our Israel relations. I will give that to probably like Reagan or something, maybe Carter. Keep in mind that anything you attribute to Reagan was very likely attempt, was very likely the fruit of something Carter began with. That's exactly why I said that, yeah. <laughs> Except trickle-down economics. And the Death Star. And the Death Star. But, point being, I'm, I, I'm fascinated by the fact that it chose to focus so much on Israel when it was just like, okay, he's president. Okay, he's baby. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, it actually showed us a decision-making process. But it was such an arbitrary decision process in the grand scheme of all the things they could have shown us. Also, let's talk about the, the scene where he talks about almost joining the KKK. Oh yeah, he's like, I'm an I'm a man from Missouri. I've I've dabbled in I've dabbled in racism once or twice. <laughs> I almost joined the KKK, but but even I know it's not but, great to be shooting no, these people. No, 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 that's not what he said. He said that Pendergast told him they were anti-Catholic and not to do it. Ah, oh, yes. Oh, I so he had to be he that. had to be told to not join the KKK. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. And then he's like, but even I know this is not good for politics to be going around and killing these N-bombs. And he drops it right there, like a hard R. He goes gangsta for a minute. 
I'm going to get emails on that. Oh, boy. And I, I was also interested in the, um, during the re-election campaign, that they showed us, they actually showed us some re-election stuff. Yeah, a little bit, but they did show us. And they, and he, true, like, the one thing I remember, Truman was really angry. Like, he was really personal, really angry throughout that whole election campaign. Oh, yeah, he was salty. Like, he was just, like, coming at the Republican Congress and, like, like almost berating the people at his rallies. Like, I am trying to help you. Vote for me. <laughs> you need to do this for me. Otherwise, you're idiots, basically. See, do you think Hillary should have taken a more <laughs> Truman-esque approach to her rallies? Just be like, you need to do this. I really would have liked it if she did. I feel like that would have been Sanders more interesting. Did. Sanders was aggressive with it. But he wasn't almost insulting, was he? No, not necessarily, but he certainly put, you know, fire and brimstone in the minds of his in the minds of his voters. That's very true. Um, hmm. how about we talk about Bess's mom? Who is angry old hag Lois Smith, and she's just there, like we talked about earlier, just to be the, in, be the an, an antagonist to Truman, just being like, I don't like anything you do. I don't like you for my daughter. You're gonna fail. You need to get out of this house if you're making money. Why don't you go and buy a house? She's been complaining when she's at the White House visiting, and then like she's visiting, and then Truman gets a call, and oh, Korea's invaded. That's always a bummer. <laughs> like, I'm, like I'm sure that probably happened around the same time. Don't you hate it when your evil witch of a step of, of, of a, uh, a mother mother in law shows up and tries to have a nice dinner, and you're trying to appease her, being the president of the United States and all, and international conflict breaks out. And it's like you know, um, sorry, mom, I gotta go. You should have just bombed her. <laughs> it's also funny we see more of her mom like Bess's mom than we see of Truman's mom we don't really see anything of his family or yeah or, like or the, he's talked structure. about them yeah or like they, they gloss over stuff like oh Truman knows like Cicero's quotations and he randomly quotes it at one point but like you would never think he'd be that into education right but he was but where is it <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of the problem with this movie, is that there's no context or basis for half the things that happen. It's like, at 50 years old, you're becoming president, okay? What else is going on? Yeah. He was a, he was an older president, even though that was common in that era, of course. I mean, they did have mm. FDR for, like, seven lifetimes. So, <laughs> like, literally seven generations of Americans came and gone. Actually, considering that was World War II. No, I'm not even going to go there. But, um, Don't say it. You got to say it now. I mean, a lot of generations of Americans did die under his uh, presidency. That's very but, true. Uh, yeah, we were all about, like, the old man, keep us safe. Give me a fireside talk. I would have loved to know what you thought about the internment camps. Hmm. I don't know. FDR had his missteps. <laughs> or one thing I really appreciated that they did show also, like the one of the things they actually did focus on for a hot minute was when Truman was a senator. He was part of like the oversight committee or something like that. Yep. The budgetary oversight That's committee. Right. And it was during the war. So he was actually going to these contractors and trying to find out if they were using the money wisely. Right. Which is a like, ambitious, you know, fine goal that's you know it's much appreciated but everyone's just kind of like dude it's the war it's fine he's and like he gets really angry he's like no we're wasting all this money and these boys are dying because our plane engines are ineffective and defective and they're falling out of the sky yeah and they're like well we didn't know about that and like well you should have 
he he's a very very intriguing figure in this film that could have been benefited a whole lot more by a stronger and more cohesive script, especially one yes. that actually had a narrative of some sort and focused on items of importance. And like his friend after that scene comes up to him, he's like, "I I am a reporter and I hear some things about the Manhattan Project. I would yeah. like I would like the exclusive story if you can find out for me." Uh huh. And he's like, Man- "Manhattan, who's who wants it?" And he gets, like, a file or something, and he goes to, like, the Secretary of Defense, and he's like, I want to know what this is. And they're like, this is so top secret, we can't even ask how you know about it. And we're going <laughs> to need to take that. your file now. <laughs> I love that. Little did he know that he would be the purveyor of the Manhattan Project. And that's, like, the one narrative thing that happens, really. It's like, that's it, the it one came thing back. that's connected to something later on, Yeah, I it, guess. it came back. Do they ever refer to it as the Manhattan Project when he's dropping the bomb, though? Yes. They do? Okay. Yes. So that existed. Uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you want to talk about? I've been talking about a lot of things. This was a film that Gary Sinai's kept it interesting for me enough that I only fell asleep twice. But <laughs> I, I think it... I think it needs a. I think I, I think an, a re a reimagining of Truman needs to happen on a contemporary mm-hmm. level. Even though this film is only what twenty one years old, uh, it needs to happen and focus squarely on on larger, more important things. And I'm, right. I'm stressing the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings because I feel like those are arguably like most pivotal moments of any American presidency. And they oh, yeah. had the opportunity to do something with that. And they, they did nothing. At least when we look at stuff with JFK, we see a lot of, you know, stuff about the Bay of Pigs. We oh, see sure. a lot of stuff with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, when we watch W, we had a lot of, or W, we had a lot of uh, insight into the early beginnings of the war. Yep. We didn't get that in that, in this film. And I think that was the most frustrating aspect for me. And interestingly enough, like, David McCullough also wrote John Adams, the biography, and that got turned into the HBO miniseries with Paul Giamatti. Right, where he can play a lead character. I didn't know he could do that. Yeah, and it's like, my personal taste of that miniseries aside, that was a miniseries that had a lot of depth and a lot of like narrative arc. Yes. And delved into a specific moment, really. Like, there were a lot of moments, of course, because it's a miniseries, but like, people will remember him like trying to get the presidency up and running. I want the back of the box set for that. To just have a quote that says, there were a lot of moments. It's a mini-series, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Dominic Chokey. Silver screens in politics. (laughs) But it's like that one had actual moments that were really interesting and funny. Right. Or this one is like, this movie is like the moments around the big moments that aren't that interesting. (laughs) Yeah. It's like if it's like if they lopped off the climaxes of each episode of John Adams, and it's like okay, here's here it is. It would be this movie. But Lieutenant Dan is here. He's like the one saving grace. This is like prime Lieutenant Dan era too. Yeah, isn't this it? is like right after Forrest Gump. Yeah, and then he just did a bunch of boring NCIS stuff or CIS or well, he was, he was in a, He was in Apollo thirteen also at the same time. Oh, you're right. So man, he was really in his stride. Oh yeah, he was being Truman. He was being a sad astronaut. He was being a sad veteran. <laughs> being a sad president. He's also a sad veteran and Truman. Sad veteran and Truman. <laughs> I kind of wanted like his the character Lieutenant Dan mm-hmm. to like merge into <laughs> Truman, <laughs> and I was hoping for that in the war scenes. I mean, it, it's interesting. legs get blown off. I mean, it is interesting to compare the Just war throw scenes. Throw out historical accuracy. Like compare the war scenes in Forrest Gump and Gary Sinise and those to the war scenes in this movie. They're, they're very different. 
the war scenes in this movie are bad. <laughs> like they're very cheaply shot, and you can tell they're it's so just like... bad. <laughs> they're so bad. And then you have the the scenes in Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump has extraordinarily well shot war scenes, in oh, my yeah. opinion. And like, just they're interesting. It's just like the stuff that happens. Yeah. And this is just like okay, the there are the Germans on the farm. We're gonna bomb them. Okay, the horses left. Let's bomb them. Yeah. Or it's like, okay, there's the front. We're fighting at the front. Don't run away. I'm going to walk toward the front now. Follow my lead and fire. True. I should also, we should Man. also, we should also be fair though, because when you're thinking about World War One combat, it was literally kind of that. It was literally yes. like, we are going to fire forward, then walk forward to the next trench and then fire forward again. But movies have done those events and have done them well. Is there a really good World War One movie? I would argue War Horse is one. I've never seen War Horse. It's Spielberg, and it, it's right. Was that the horse movie? Yes, oh, it's, it's about I, World War One. Yeah, it's so about, the only way to make World War, World War One movie interesting is to have it focus on a horse. Oh, well, there's also Pads of Glory, which is a Kubrick film, okay, starring Kirk Douglas. Okay, but War Horse is interesting. Let me let me just get into a quick thing about War Horse. Okay, because I know like War Horse seems like the kind of thing that's prime Spielberg. It schmaltz. looks so stupid. Yeah, but it's actually like it's about the horse and about how the horse goes from owner to owner in this war, like. Okay, this owner gets shot off the horse, so the enemy takes takes the horse, and then the enemy goes to the farm. And they leave the horse there, and this girl gets it for a while. And it's, it, I found it interesting and like not as bad as I assumed it would be. Okay, it's just like okay, it's just about a horse, like what a horse would go through in World War One. Okay, I, I I can okay, that's cool, I guess. Uh, but I mean, like conflict in World War One is not extraordinarily interesting. Right, but, the, but it's mostly just sitting around, immediately dying, and then getting trench foot. But Spielberg figured out a way to make it interesting, even though it was about a horse. That's true. That we can give him that. Whereas I think if we're making a parallel to Forrest Gump, you can make you know the the ground combat in Vietnam infinitely more interesting than World War One. Yes, but it can be done. I wish they had done it better here. This was a director who had done things. He had mostly written things, though. Right, but he he had enough experience directing at this point to pull something off, I felt like. That's true, and they had a budget of $8 million, which is not large, but for a TV movie on HBO, was nothing to scoff at. Yeah, for sure. And they did win some awards. Uh, Mr. Gary won a Golden Globe for Best Actor, mm-hmm. and then they also won an Emmy, and I believe it was some sort of technical Emmy, to the IMDb's. Best, it was nominated for Best Miniseries. That doesn't make sense. Uh, it won Outstanding Casting in, in the Emmys. Was it like Best Movie or Miniseries or something like that? Oh, then it also won Outstanding Made for Television Movie. Yep. Okay, so it basically won Best Picture for TV Movie. At the Golden Globes. No, that was at the uh, Emmys. Emmys. Wow. That must not have been a lot of um, variety back then. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> okay. Uh Wait, what? Outstanding editing for a miniseries or special in a single camera production? No. <laughs> That's no. what it was nominated for. It did not need to be. Outstanding makeup for a miniseries? No. Uh, confusing makeup for a miniseries, most certainly. <laughs> also uh, interesting, uh, Truman was talking about wanting health care for everybody. Yes. that was He was pushing for that way back then. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is a movie. Is this a movie you would recommend? Not really. I mean, like like I said, it is exactly what you think when you think of HBO movie from the nineties. 
It's basically marginally better than a Hallmark movie from the nineties. I would give a little more credit than that. They get they get they give some like sincerity to certain things. Like Gary Sinise is genuinely good. Yes, he is good. Yeah, I mean, if you have absolutely nothing else to watch and it's on at three in the morning, this is the second time I've given this same recommendation on a podcast. I would today. say you should watch Demolition Man first. <laughs> watch Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone. And we're, sh- <laughs> we're Schwarzenegger as president. And that's a callback to what I wanted last episode where I wanted Schwarzenegger to be president in a movie. Right, but you didn't get that with Dave. You just got Dave. But uh, yeah, we were talking about that over on Geek Cinema Society, which is a really cool show that Dominic was on, which you should check out. It'll be out on that feed already in case you care at all about Demolition Man. Honestly, that movie's probably better than this one. If you want some insider baseball, we're recording these episodes pretty much back to back. Boom. So the more you know. Let's leave this place, Dominic. Let's cleanse our minds with happier movies. Do you have anything you want to talk about? Like any last words? Why, not even just why like i know why this happened tell me what we're doing next oh okay so next time our movie is nixon oliver stone oh nixon. we're finally getting into the oliver well we did w that was our first episode oh my gosh i forgot about that in november you're that right was way back then way back when and we now were we're young and innocent we're coming back full circle to close out not like our like our first block of episodes not like we're doing like seasons or anything like that just like I planned for the first 10 episodes, and this is the end of that first 10 with Nixon. Right. And we're moving on from there, but we're going to be moving into different territory, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> we have some really interesting surprises in store post-Nixon. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm going to groan right now, and people will know why we're groaning in a couple weeks when they hear about what movies are coming next. Oh, yes. Yeah. But yeah, keep in mind, we have more JFK movies, of course, more Civil War, more Nixon. Bollywood. Oh, Yes. Hollywood. We got all sorts of crazy stuff coming up on the horizon, so stay tuned on this feed, of course, as always. Dominic, where can people find you online? You can find me at Twitter at D-A-C-I-C-H-O-C-K-I. If you want that visually, you can see it on our notes. Right on. And you can find me at BrettDavidStewart.com and on Twitter at RiversRubin. You can't find me at BrettStewart.com because some asshole owns that. So I've been trying to buy it from him. And it, you know what? Okay. Diatribe here at the end of the Isn't show. Isn't it Brett David Stewart? No, I do have BrettDavidStewart.com. Oh, but okay. I can't get BrettStewart.com because I am 99% sure that a sexual assaulting rugby player keeps renewing it every year. Wow. If you are named Brett Stewart and slash or Noah Brett Stewart, ask them if they are buying that domain and ask them if they're sexually assaulting people if they happen to also be a rugby player. How? Why does the rugby player have to do anything? Because he's the most famous Brett Stewart. Fair enough. So he probably owns the Brett Stewart. If you're out there, Brett Stewart, I hate you. <laughs> so let's let's give this movie, let's now give this movie the cold shoulder. Let's now give this movie the cold shoulder like Eisenhower did at the end. And just not even come to the White House until they're gone. I give it a, a 3.9 out of 9 goldfish. I give it a 33 out of 45. See you later, everybody. <laughs>